Hello, and welcome back to Black Lives Texas. I'm Tracy Lowe. And I'm Ricardo Lowe. Tracy and I are back behind the mic to give y'all a few episodes that provide an inside look at the staff and work of the Institute for Urban Policy Research and Analysis at UT Austin. While we're working on our next series, we wanted to talk to some of the IUPRA staff about what they do as members of the team and to get some insight into why they're committed to their work. They'll also discuss some of the larger work of the Institute and their thoughts on what they hope the future holds for IUPRA. On his first episode, we wanted to sit down with the director of IUPRA, Dr. Kevin Coakley. Dr. Coakley shared with us a bit about how he came to his work in academia and eventually his work with IUPRA. He also shares with us his vision for the future of the Institute, and we could think of no better way to kick off this series. So thank you again for being on the podcast, Dr. Coakley. We are more than happy to welcome you and thank you for all the contributions that you have made to IUPRA. So to start off, we've been asking everyone just to tell us about their personal background. So a little bit about where you grew up, because I know you like to talk about that to us a lot. Um, Your schooling, professional information, and kind of your trajectory to where you are today. So the mic is yours. Okay, so I am not a native Texan. Um, I am uh, North Carolinian, and I was born in a small town called Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Um, very rural town. When I was growing up, probably population around two or three thousand on a good day. Um, it was uh, not a very diverse area, and um, but it was it was home. Uh, I used to not. T- like to tell people that I was from Pilot Mountain because um, I would be teased mercilessly from <laughs> people. And if you ever watched the Andy Griffith show, um, they used to refer to it as Mount Pilot um, on that show. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I'm from. Uh, went to a small um, high school called uh, East Surrey High School. Um, you know, did did pretty well there and um, ended up um, getting a merit, ba- well, a need-based um, academic scholarship to attend Wake Forest University, uh, which is a um, private um, school in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, it was a pretty big deal for, you know, someone African-American from my neck of the woods to, to go to what was considered to be a, a pretty prestigious school. Um, um, was able to do that. And uh, had you know certainly some some challenges there. Uh, it's not a not an easy school to to, to attend, um, both social challenges and, and academic challenges. But you know we we graduated. Uh, received my master's degree from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro uh, in counselor education, and then from there I uh, went to Georgia State University where I pursued my PhD in counseling psychology. And during this time, I really started to come into my own in terms of my professional interest, being very, you know, sort of interested in issues pertaining to um, race and racial identity um, and education. I was um, mentored by the great Dr. Asa Hilliard. If you know anything about him, he's someone who was a a very uh, sort of staunch uh, advocate 
um, of African-American students and, and just a strong defender of them. Uh, he was an Afrocentric um, psychologist. And so he was someone that greatly influenced me. And, you know, much of who I am today as, as, a, as a Black psychologist and, and scholar, I can attribute to the influence that he had on my, my own sort of professional um, development. So my research interests then um, sort of stem from um, his influence and, and just always sort of being interested in, in sort of African-American students in particular, negotiating um, predominantly white educational spaces and the issues related to motivation, um, academics of concept, uh, really being interested in sort of those factors and how they impact the actual achievement of, of African-American students. Um, Later, um, I became interested in this um, idea called the imposter phenomenon um, and how it also impacts um, individuals' uh, mental health as well as their achievement. And so I, I guess if you could sort of think of, you know, if you could sort of summarize who I am as a scholar and, and the work that I've done, it's really been a, uh, about trying to understand all of those um, psychosocial influences that impact uh, the experiences and achievement of students of color uh, in higher education, you know, particularly um, African-American students. I think that's a, a probably a pretty nice way of sort of succinctly describing who, who I've been and the type of work um, that I've done. So you have a, a very um, inspirational and much needed area of research in terms of Black students in higher education, especially thinking about motivation. And so you've you talked a little bit about those academic research interests and kind of your background, but can you talk more about what specifically brought you to this work um, and the, your, the passion and the faculty role and all, he does a lot, y'all. So all of the things that you do. Yeah, well, it, it was really born out of my own um, experience. When I, when I think about what it was like for me um, going to Wake Forest University as a, as a black male student um, and being one of just of only a handful of, of black students at that time. I, I was at Wake Forest University from uh, 1987 through 1991. And just my understanding and reflecting on my own um, sense of um, insecurities at times, um, you know, and not, not having the language to understand that now sort of in retrospect, I can understand that, that I probably felt like an imposter, um, you know, during that time. Uh, just being very, you know, sort of sensitive to how I was being perceived by my white um, colleagues. And, and, and also, so there was that sort of academic side and, you know, my academic identity and just all of the ways that it was sort of being challenged. But then there was also my, my racial identity. And along with that sort of, I had a strong sense of activism and being very much involved in like the Black Student Alliance, um, you know, being a part of a, a Black fraternity, um, you know, being very oriented, you know, situated within a Black community. And I think about, you know, my activism, you know, one of the stories that I tell people is that during that time, you know, apartheid was at its height and being involved in, you know, some, you know, activism on campus that was really, you know, quite intense. Uh, I remember sort of you know, a group of us, you know, we planned, so we went to the cafeteria and we had some white allies who were, you know, working with us. And we, we wanted, we wanted white students to understand what it was like living in apartheid South Africa. 
And so we went to, um, you know, really they were the sort of like, you know, plants, you know, again, white allies who were strategically situated within the cafeteria and a group of black men, we would just sort of go and we just started snatching them up out of their cafeteria seats. Um, no warning, just started snatching up because what we were trying to sort of um, sort of convey is that this is what it, life was like for black people in South Africa, where they could, you know, without any sort of um, advanced notification or warning could be snatched up by the government for all sorts of trumped up sort of charges. And so we were trying to sort of convey that this is what it's like. And it was so funny because, you know, there were these white students, these white male students in particular, who all they saw was like black men snatching up white women and they just didn't know what to do. Like they were like, hey, what? Stop. Like, what, what are you doing? Stop. They just couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, so and we use that as a, as, a, as a sort of a teachable moment. But but, you know, so I think about, you know, these experiences of, of sort of activism, racial consciousness, you know, sort of the academic side and some of my, you know, initial sort of, you know, academic struggles and just trying to just trying to find my way as a, as a, as a black male student in a predominantly white environment. And so all those experiences really informed my, my interest as a scholar, like just wanting to, wanting to understand, you know, better um, African-American students wanting to, you know, defend them, you know, from, from any sorts of, uh, you know, uh, sort of characterizations of, of, of not being, you know, you know, smart enough, not belonging, um, because of those experiences that I, you know, had myself. And so all of that really informed, you know, sort of who I am as a scholar. You are the current director of IUPRA. So can you tell us about how you came to IUPRA? And I'm pretty sure that'll lead us into a little bit of the history of IUPRA. Um, and tell us about your current role. Yeah, so th- that is a very interesting story. Um, and it it's it, so the, basically what happened was when IUPRA, before you know, IUPRA came into existence and, you know, really around the time that, you know, the African and African diaspora studies study, you know, was being sort of discussed as a concept, um, I was, you know, in very involved. Um, I, I had a joint appointment uh, between educational psychology. Uh, well, actually, before the joint appointment, you know, you know I had an appointment with educational psychology and I was affiliated with the Warfield Center of African American Studies. African and African American studies, and then we started having a series of conversations about you know, cre- you know, creating a department because we we really got tired of, um, as a, you know, as a center we would work with other academic departments to try to bring more black faculty, but because we were a center we did not have faculty lines, so ultimately we had little power. If if a department wanted you know someone and we didn't agree with it, we could not you know, say no, because they had the ultimate authority because they had the faculty lines. And it all came to a head when we were working with the psychology department and, and we had, there were a couple of candidates and, you know, and we wanted one candidate, uh, the psychology department wanted another candidate and ended up getting neither one of the candidates. And I think that was sort of like, you know, just things came to a head and, and we decided that we needed to really be very serious about working to create, you know, our own department. And then as a part of that discussion, you know, the idea about, you know, maybe having uh, an institute, a policy institute, a black policy institute, um, you know, sort of became a part of that that discussion. And so I was actually um, part of the search committee that, you know, was looking for the inaugural director of, of this sort of what we hoped would be, a, you know, this, you know, sort of groundbreaking black policy institute. 
and and I I really I kind of had an idea of what they wanted and and long story short because there's a, there's a lot to the story but um, we ended up you know you know making offers to some really high profile people um, those didn't turn out and so we ended up um, asking Dr King Davis who was a very well known nationally renowned social work professor who had been affiliated with the Hogg Foundation. Um, not just affiliated, but he was, you know, sort of like the, the, the head there. Um, he agreed to delay his his um, retirement to sort of help get this uh, institute off the ground. And so he he did that for a couple of years and then reminded people that he really was going to retire and that we needed to find someone to to serve as the, you know, director. So once again, I was brought in, you know, I was on a search committee to help find someone and we went through another search process, um, and unfortunately, it was you know another failed search. Now, at that time, I was also going through the process of promotion. So I was a tenured associate professor, and I was going through the process to become promoted um, to full professor. And once I was successfully promoted, and we had this sort of failed search, I remember having a conversation with the dean of the College of the Arts, and, you know, we were sort of processing my whole sort of promotion experience, and he asked me, you know, so what's next? You're now a full professor. What What is it that you would like, you know, to do? And I remember telling him that, you know, I was, you know, I had been entertaining the, the idea of maybe going to administration, really didn't have an idea of what that would be exactly, but I was, you know, open to it. And it was something that I guess he filed in the back of his mind. And so when when this sort of, you know, opportunity came up regarding, I, you know, sort of being a director of a UPRA, he suggested to um, Dr. King Davis and to Dr. Ted Gordon um, that I could be someone who would, who could come in as the interim director for a year uh, until such time as they, you know, they were able to sort of fill it with someone, you know, permanently. And so he approached me about that and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, and this is certainly a way to sort of, you know, you know, dip my feet in, if you will, of administration and, and just determine whether this was something that I really wanted to do or not. And so once it, that was agreed, and once I agreed to it, I was made the interim director um, of IUPRA, and that was supposed to be for, I think, a year. And, and interestingly, during that time, um, I was being, so once I was made the interim director, um, I was being recruited um, back to the University of Missouri, Columbia, which is where I had come from. And they were really sort of pulling out all the stops and they they really wanted me back. And so UT was trying to keep me. And so part of the negotiation of, of me staying here was making me um, the permanent director of UPR uh, because University of Missouri was going to give me money to sort of start my own center and whatnot. And so that's how I actually ended up becoming the the permanent director of UPR. So it's a you know interesting story. If you want to talk a little bit more about your role and what yes. that means to be director of UPR. Yeah, so um, being director of a UPRA has has been a, a great experience. Um, it has, I think, more than anything, helped me to better understand um, policy. Um, it's put me into um, you know close contact with policymakers, particularly the uh, Texas Legislative Black Caucus, um, and you know really sort of understanding what it is that 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 they want to do and how we could be of assistance because really the, the goal, uh, and maybe I should have started off by saying this, what the, the vision for our UPR was always, I think, at least in part, 
that we would serve as a as a resource for for policymakers, particularly um, the Black Caucus, um, by providing them with uh, research data, you know, anything that that could help them advance their legislative agenda. And so for and so as as director, you know, my job was you know you know has been it's you know but particularly early on was to make sure that we were in constant communication with the black caucus and that we were that we that we understood what it was that they wanted um and try to sort of work with them to sort of provide that and it it, it was a very political it's been a very political um sort of role um because you know in some sense it was almost like serving two masters because on the one hand you know the institute is, is within uh, the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas. Um, and at one point, my chain of command was the, the, the dean of the College of Liberal Arts. And, and I would also meet periodically with um, the then president, uh, President William Powers, um, who was instrumental in sort of providing the funding to get a, a UPR off the ground. So on the one hand, I was responsive to, you know, I was responsible for, for reporting to those individuals and letting them know sort of what we were doing and making sure that, you know, we were doing what it was that they envisioned. And then on the other hand, um, there was the Black Caucus. And from the Black Caucus's perspective, you know, they almost sort of viewed us as like their research, you know, sort of tool and um, their personal research arm and that we were supposed to be doing whatever it was that they wanted done. And it became very tricky to negotiate that because we are a nonpartisan entity. Um, we are supported by taxpayer dollars. And so we could not be seen as an entity that was essentially the research arm of this partisan black caucus. And so my role as director was to really try to finesse that dynamic to try to sort of, you know, appease the black policy, you know, the black caucus, while mm-hmm. also making sure that you know we had not we had not um, sort of run afoul of what UT expected us to do, and so for for a while there, I spent a lot of my time um, just sort of finessing that dynamic and just you know and I remember sort of writing a report and sort of characterizing that um, sort of experience as um, serving two masters and how difficult it is to try to serve two masters. Um, you know, so to speak. And so, so that was, you know, that, that, that has been something that I, I've spent a lot of time or you know, at one point doing that dynamic has died down now. And we really don't have those tensions um, anymore. And now um, I see my role as director as, as really being one as, 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 as almost like a figurehead. Like I, I have, incredible staff such as you dr Lowe, um and everyone else who has really we, we have a vision for the institute and i i, I almost in some way see myself as, as as the as the sort of like the intellectual leader um you know sort of trying to help sort of set a course um for the institute um but my phenomenal staff really carries out you know the work you know of the vision that we have established um together um and so some ways you know I, you know i I think I almost sort of exist almost as like a figurehead for, for the Institute. So the last question and we've asked everyone on staff, this question, um, and this might be a particularly special question for you. What are your hopes and vision for the Institute in the future? Oh, great question. Um, I really sort of hope that the Institute continues to gain the, the trust 
uh, of the community, which I think we have. I mean, because again, of the work that you and the other staff, have, you know, you've done. I, I hope that we continue to um, maintain and increase the visibility um, and trust that we have within the community. Um, I would like to see the work that we do um, actually result at some point in impacting um, policies um, where someone can sort of point to the work that we've done and can say, because of this work, this has resulted in these specific policy um, policies being enacted that, you know, are for the betterment of, of, of Black people. And so, um, you know, I definitely want to be able to sort of see that happen for for the Institute. And, and I think that we're there. Well, in fact, we, we can already point to some examples of where that's happened when we talk about the uh, case of the school closures and, and the work that was done, you know, by UPRA and how that really helped to reduce the number of schools um, that w- were initially being proposed uh, for closure. So that's, that's already, you know, happened. And I just want to sort of continue to see our work being used in ways that have a direct impact um, on, on what's happening with, with folks in the community, with Black people in the community in particular. Um, you know, I hope that we are able to um, obtain, you know, larger and larger uh, external sources of funding um, because, again, of, 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 of the incredible work that you've done, Dr. Lowe. We now have a really, really good track record on which to build. And I think that that's going to be important for IUPRA, um, given the new dean that we have. Um, you know, she's definitely, you know, sort of, you know, communicated that it is a priority that that we and other, you know, units um, secure external funding. So it is my hope that the Institute, you know, as it sort of moves forward, is able to become more and more successful in, in securing external funding. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I will, I would sort of end by saying that, you know, one of the, one of the things that I have really cherished about, you know, IUPRA and being IUPRA director is that, you know, we have a certain, we have a, especially now we have a cohesion and we're all on the same page in terms of who we are, who we are and what we want to do. And, and, and of course we exist within black studies. You know, we are a part of, you know, four units that comprise black studies and, and I know that, you know, there's a desire to make sure that, that, that we are fully integrated within this sort of larger Black Studies collective. And that's, that's very important. I hope that in doing so, that IUPRA is still able to, to maintain its, its distinctiveness, its voice, and that, that people recognize the, the uniqueness and importance of our work uh, within Black Studies and that it does not sort of get lost um, during this sort of, you know, desire to want to um, present Black Studies as a collective. So in other words, I hope that IUPRA is always able to maintain a semblance of, 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 of a autonomy in terms of, you know, making sure that we are able to do the work that we want to do in the way that we feel like it needs to be done without there being any you know, sort of outside interference, if you will. So I'll, I'll leave it with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Coakley, for taking the time out to come on the podcast. And I'm pretty sure our listeners will enjoy uh, our conversation with you. All right. Well, thank you for having me. 
Thank you again to everyone at IUPRA who has helped us with this podcast project and for all the work they do at the Institute. So if you are enjoying the podcast, please share with your friend. Word of mouth is still the number one way people will find out about new podcasts. You can also reach out to us at Podcast at gmail.com or engage with IUPRA on social media. Links are all provided in the show notes. Until next time. Hasta la próxima semana. Bye-bye.